0: This is Dr. Samantha Shapiro, Executive Editor of Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine. Harrison's Podclass is brought to you by McGraw-Hills Access Medicine, the online medical resource that delivers the latest trusted content from the best minds in medicine. And now, on to the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Harrison's Podcast. We're your co-hosts. I'm Dr. Kathy Handy.
1: And I'm Dr. Charlie Weiner, and we're joining you from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine.
0: Welcome to episode 113, a 62-year-old with puritis.
1: Okay, Kathy. Today, you're asked to consult on a 62-year-old woman with puritis for four months. Over that time, she's noted progressive fatigue and a five-pound weight loss. She has intermittent nausea, but no vomiting and denies changes in her bowel habits. There's no history of prior alcohol use, blood transfusions, or illicit drug use. The patient is a widowed woman, and she's had two heterosexual partners in her entire lifetime. Her past medical history is significant only for hypothyroidism, for which she takes levothyroxine. Her family history is unremarkable. On examination, she is mildly ecteric. You also notice spider angiomata on her torso. And on abdominal exam, you palpate a nodular liver edge two centimeters below the right costal margin. The remainder of her physical examination is unremarkable.
0: So you mentioned some classic signs of cirrhosis there. So you mentioned jaundice, a nodular and palpable liver, and then also the spidery angiomata. And she has a history of hypothyroidism, which in and of itself shouldn't cause cirrhosis. So it sounds like this is a new problem. I'd want to start with getting a right upper quadrant ultrasound and then definitely needs lab work as well.
1: Good call. So a right upper quadrant ultrasound confirms your suspicions of cirrhosis. You also order a complete blood count and a comprehensive metabolic panel, which we'll discuss later. But the question is asking, based only on her history and her physical examination, which of the following tests is most likely to be diagnostic? And the answers are, A, a 24-hour urine copper, B, anti-mitochondrial antibodies, C, hepatitis B serologies, D, perinuclear antineutrophil cytoplasmic antibodies, or a P-ANCA, or E, a serum ferritin?
0: Here I think the best answer is B, antimitochondrial antibodies. The presence of cirrhosis in an adult woman with no significant prior risk factors for viral or alcoholic cirrhosis should raise the possibility of primary biliary cholangitis with cirrhosis or PBC. So, PBC is characterized by chronic inflammation and fibrous obliteration of intrahepatic ductules.
1: What's the cause of that?
0: The cause is unknown, but autoimmunity is assumed because there is an association with other autoimmune disorders such as autoimmune thyroiditis, Crest syndrome, and Sica
1: syndrome. And what about this diagnosis? Is this a typical presentation?
0: Well, many patients are diagnosed before symptoms based on abnormal liver function tests, The vast majority of patients with symptomatic disease are women, and the median age is about 50 at the time of diagnosis. Our patient is older than the median, but well within the range of what could be expected. And the most common symptoms when present are fatigue and puritis, as we see in this patient. Now, the antimitochondrial antibody or AMA test is positive in over 90% of patients with PBC and only rarely is positive in other conditions. So this makes that the most useful test um, in the diagnosis.
1: Okay, and that was our answer. But let's talk a little bit more about the pathology in this disease. What do you see histologically
0: Histopathologic analyses of liver biopsies of patients with PBC have resulted in distinct stages of the progressive disease. So early what you see is necrotizing lymphocytic inflammation, most notable around the small and medium bile ducts, and that leads to bile duct destruction and early fibrosis. Later, the inflammation becomes less prominent, but periportal fibrosis extends to bridging fibrosis and then eventually cirrhosis.
1: Which is like our patient. So let's go back. We said we were gonna order a lot of labs. Let's talk a little bit about the labs.
0: So laboratory findings in PBC show cholestatic liver enzyme abnormalities. So you get an elevation in gamma glutamyl transpeptidase and alkaline phosphatase, along with mild elevations, usually in the amino transferases, ALT and AST. Immunoglobulins, particularly IgM, are typically increased, and hyperbilirubinemia usually is seen once cirrhosis has developed. Now, thrombocytopenia, leukopenia, and anemia can be seen in patients with portal hypertension and hypersplenism from cirrhosis.
1: And which is obviously not specific. Now, you mentioned that the AMA is 90% sensitive in PBC. What do you do if you suspect the diagnosis and the AMA is negative?
0: Yeah, AMA testing may be negative in as many as 5 to 10% of patients with PBC. These patients usually are positive for other PBC-specific autoantibodies, including SP100 or GP210, although these tests are not universally available. Liver biopsy is most important in the setting of AMA-negative suspected
1: PBC. And is PBC treatable?
0: Well, the treatment of cirrhosis is the same as for other more common causes of cirrhosis urso acid or UDCA is a first-line treatment for PBC that has some degree of efficacy by slowing the rate of progression of the disease, particularly when it's initiated early. Now, unfortunately for our patient, the likelihood of significant improvement with this treatment is low in patients who have PBC who already present with cirrhosis. Cholestyramine, which is a bile salt sequestering agent, that has been helpful to relieve some of the symptoms like puritis in some patients but it's tedious and often difficult to take.
1: And is she or are patients with PBC um, candidates for liver transplantation? Would that be curative?
0: Liver transplantation is a treatment of choice for eligible patients with decompensated cirrhosis that's due to PBC.
1: Great. Let's just run quickly through the other options before we finish.
0: All right, so 24-hour urine copper collection is useful in the diagnosis of Wilson's disease. Hepatic failure from Wilson's disease typically occurs before the age of 50 years, but that would also be on the differential. Chronic hepatitis B and hepatitis C are certainly in the differential diagnosis and must be ruled out. They're less likely in this patient because of the patient's history and and lack of significant risk factors. P. ANCA is positive in about 65% of patients with primary sclerosing cholangitis, and that's a disorder commonly associated with ulcerative colitis. Serum ferritin levels are typically elevated in hemochromatosis, which may result in cirrhosis as well, but it's usually associated with lethargy, fatigue, loss of libido, discoloration of the skin, arthralgias, diabetes, and cardiomyopathy. Ferritin levels are also usually increased, and the most suggestive laboratory abnormality is an elevated transferrin saturation percentage. Now, although hemochromatosis is a possible diagnosis in this case, PBC is more likely in light of the clinical scenario and lack of other findings.
1: Great. So the teaching point in this case is that primary biliary cholangitis is an autoimmune disease that may present with cirrhosis, typically in middle-aged women. The best serologic diagnostic test is the antimitochondrial antibody, which is positive in 90% of patients.
0: And you can learn more about this in the chapter on cirrhosis and its complications. Thanks for listening to Harrison's Pod Class. You can listen to this episode and more on accessmedicine.com, which includes the complete Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine text, Harrison's Review Questions, which complement and expand upon the questions in this episode, and much more. Accessmedicine.com may already be available to you via your academic institution. Check it out.